0: This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71, Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. And I think I will today. So appreciate that so very much. Appreciate the kind words about me, but we give glory to God for any abilities that we have they are God given everything we have, God has given us. We should uh, always glorify him and give him the praise for those things. Thank you nonetheless for the, for the wonderful words. If you look at the chart that you were given and Exodus, does anybody need a copy of it? Raise your hand, please. We have a little way to bring one to you. Good, know, everybody seems to so have it. This front page is a copy of what we will see on this large board when we finish. So you'll have a copy of that. And then inside uh, is where we will begin our actual study because there's open instructions in there that we'll be reading. And we'll look at that comparison between the limited and the great commission. The rest of the pages that you have are just set the scripture typed out that we'll be using. If you want to turn in your Bible and read these, that's fine. But they're typed out for you. I just give out one sheet and all of these scriptures were on the back of this one page and you can imagine the size of the font. And uh, I decided I'm not going to be that cruel to you today. I'm going to enlarge the body if I've got a little lot of print. So I took five sheets with these in a large font for you. But they are eye friendly, and I think they'll be useful to you that way, much more. So I'll enjoy that with those. Let's turn to the inside now. You're going to have to stay up with what I call If it, It's not in the study, I'll tell you it's not. And I'll quote it, and uh, then we'll, we'll get back in the line with scriptures that are going to be used. Inside, however, is a scripture in Matthew 10. And verse 5 through 7, I don't want to read the interdits or thoughts, Matthew 10, 5 and 7. <clears throat> Matthew says, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans, do you not? But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, obviously, we're talking on the Great Commission. Somebody might be asking, well, why are you reading Matthew 10? That's not the Great Commission, and you're exactly right. It's not. It is what Bible students call, very commonly, the Limited Commission, not the Great Commission. And I'm going to show you why it's called Limited in just a moment and why we call this the Great Commission. The word commission itself, though, means authority to act for, in behalf of, or in place of another. So when the Lord sent the twelve out to preach, He commissioned them. That is, He gave them authority to act for, in behalf of, or in place of Himself, and sent them out to teach. We call this the limited commission because it limits the things that Jesus permitted them to do and the things that they had to do on this occasion. If you'll look at this contrast now on the second page, I want you to notice this in comparison to the Great Commission, and you'll, you'll understand why we call this the Great Commission in just a moment. I think much more easily. First of all, this limited commission in Matthew 10, we just read, is limited in its scope. It was not for all people, and he never sent them to everybody. He said when he sent them out, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, into any city of the Samaritans, enter not. Go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So the Lord on this occasion would not let the twelve preach to us Gentiles. He would not let them go into any Samaritan city preach. Strictly the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So it was limited in its scope. Now when you think of the Great Commission, He will say, go ye and teach all nations. See, that's greater in scope. That's why we call it the Great Commission. It's much greater in its scope. It covers everybody. Every person on earth. But the limited commission was limited in its scope. This limited commission, you'll notice, was limited in its message. They were to preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand or near. That was their message. They could not preach the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. They hadn't occurred yet. Jesus was still on earth. So they had no message of the cross. They had no risen Savior to proclaim. And so they were preaching that the, the kingdom of the prophets had spoken of back there centuries before was now very near and about to be established. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now you and I preach a little different message today. We preach the kingdom has been established. We preach that Jesus is king of all kings and Lord of all lords. We preach his death, burial, and resurrection as accomplished facts because now they happen. And we can preach those things to people but in this limited commission they could not we have a greater message a greater message and this is called <laughs> excuse me it's called the great commission the great commission because it is great. To turn that on, great all right there's something else about this commission the limited commission is limited in its duration it was not going one class In fact, the limited commission where he sent them only to Israel ended when the great commission was given. And now this great commission is greater in duration because it's just as effective today as it always was. Jesus told them in Matthew 28, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. And so this great commission we're under today is is valid till the coming of Christ, till the end of this world the limited commission has ceased. Now look at the two there, and you'll see this limited commission is limited in its scope, it's limited in its message, it's limited in its duration. The great commission is greater in scope, it's greater in message, it is greater in duration. And so we call it the great commission. And maybe you understand that name now just a little bit better. It's really not a biblical name, but a very fit description of the commission that Christ has given to us today. All right? This large Lord in front of us is, is here for a reason because we're going to find the records of the Great Commission that are given in Scripture. There are three of them. Matthew, Mark, and Luke each give a record of the Commission. Only John, it. John does not tell us about the Great Commission at all. He's silent in his gospel. But these other three give a record. So we're going to read their record, and then we're going to take the details out of each record and put them up on the large board like you see there from Matthew. We're going to put them in columns uh, like we would add compound numbers wherever an item, a detail is the same as another account that's given. We're going to uh, place that in a corresponding column. Then we're going to come down below that and make a summary of all three of those records. And then we're going to check our summary. And then I want to talk to you at the end about some changes that people are making in the great we want gonna study that for a while. We have a lot of, a lot of study to do today. And I'm gonna be here a while with you and I want you to just strap yourself in and enjoy things because we're gonna have a good time we're gonna we have a good study. And the deeper this study goes, to me, the further along it gets toward the end, the better it gets. And so I, I'm hoping that will be the case for you. I hope you feel like that way. Since Matthew comes first in the books of our New Testament, let's read his record. You see it typed out there on the second page, Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. Matthew says of Christ, Jesus said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now normally I hang these details up, but it was so high I put them up in advance cheated just a little bit the first detail i want you to notice is matthew says that christ told them to go teach and then he told them who to teach he said teach all nations now what were they to teach you know if you just read matthew's account you don't know what he sent them out to teach were they going to teach history science math what did he send them out to teach matthew's silent about that and so i placed the sign of omission there now generally, when a person is sufficiently taught, well-taught, it produces a corresponding faith or a belief. Matthew doesn't say anything about believing, so I noted that he omitted that detail. And usually when we have a very deep and genuine faith, it will produce a change or a turning or a repentance. Matthew says nothing about repentance, and so we note that he omitted that detail also. He did say those that were taught among all nations were to be baptized. So we've noted that. And also, he gives the authority for the baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we noticed that detail. Now notice something else, brethren and sisters. He, he did not tell us what the purpose of this teaching and baptizing are all about. So I note that he omitted that detail. And one final thing. He didn't tell us where all of this was to begin. And when you read Matthew's record of the Great Commission, you really don't get a whole lot of information. He just said, go teach all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now Mark gives a record of this in Mark 16, if you'll read with me, and verse 15 and 16. Here's Mark's record. Mark says of Christ, and he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every the preacher. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned or them. All right, Mark says that Christ told them to go preach. Go into all the world and preach. Since all preaching includes some teaching and everything, and any any uh, any preaching will have teaching if it's any quality at all, then of course we place that in the corresponding Uh, column there. Whereas Matthew said they were to teach all nations, Mark says they're to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every preacher. Same thing. So we note that detail. I mentioned to you, Matthew didn't tell us what they were to teach. Mark does. Mark says that he told them to go into all the world and preach the gospel. So now we've we've got that detail that Matthew omitted. And I mentioned also that when people are are very sufficiently taught to produce a faith or a belief. And Mark supplies that for us too. Jesus said he that believeth. So he mentions faith. He mentions belief. And we notice that detail. I mentioned also a while ago that when we have a, a deep, genuine faith, it produces a change in us. A turning of repentance, if you will. But again, just like Matthew, Mark says nothing about repentance in his record. And so we note that omission. Like Matthew, Mark does mention baptism. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized, and so we note that. He did not give the authority, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or a name for this. But Matthew has, but we want to note that Mark omitted that detail. Mark does give us something, though, that Matthew did. He tells us the purpose of this. Why are to teach, why are to preach to every creature. Why those who believe? Why those who are baptized? What will happen to them? He said, "It's so that they shall be saved." So we want to notice that detail. And then, like Matthew, Mark doesn't tell us where all of this is to begin. And I want to note that he omitted that detail. Now that's Mark's record. And when you put it a little bit with Matthew, we're getting a little bit more information. He said unto them, "Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Every preacher he that believeth and is baptized." shall be saved. Luke gives a record of commission. Same page that you're on. That's Luke 24 now, verse 45 to 49. Luke says this of Christ. Then open he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it Lord Christ to suffer, and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, the beginning of Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But carry ye in the city of Jerusalem, until ye be in new power on high. Now that's Luke's record of the Great Commission, and Luke's details are a little bit skewed compared to Matthew and Mark's, but we can dig them out. So let's just notice now what Luke said. He used the same term Mark did. He said repentance and remission of sins were to be preached. And so we put that in the corresponding column. They were to preach. He said it was to be preached among all nations. And so like Matthew and Mark, he's talked about the subjects for that message. All nations. Luke does not mention the gospel. That's alright because Mark has covered that in his record, but I want to note that he omitted it. And Luke says nothing about believing, just like Matthew. He doesn't mention that, but Mark does. That's fine. We have that detail. Luke does give us something we've been looking for. I mentioned that when a person is taught sufficiently, very thoroughly, it will produce a change a turning a repentance. And he said that repentance was to be preached. So he's supplied now that detail we've been looking for. There it is. Repentance luke is the only one of the three who does not mention baptism and so we want to notice that he omitted that detail in his record never said a word about it out. whereas christ sent to baptize in the name of the father son and holy ghost luke says in his name that repentance and remission of sins will be preached in his name among all nations and then he supplies something else he says that it's remission of sins that are to be preached and that's salvation, so we'll place that in that column. And finally, Luke gives us something that you'll find out later on, on the end is a very important detail. He tells us where this is to begin. This is beginning begin Jerusalem, isn't it? Is. So he said, repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Now we know where the Great Commission was to begin. So there's Luke's record. So thus it is written, thus it behooved Christ to suffer and arise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. That's Luke's record. Now these are the, the complete records of the Great Commission. All three right here. And we've read them and we, we've pulled the details out. And now we have them up before us where we can view them. Now I don't want to do them like we would do compound numbers when we add. Let's make a summary. Let's see what each of these columns would summarize to be. This column should summarize to be teach or preach, shouldn't it? Teach or preach. If we were to make a summary of all three. This one would be all nations of every creature in all the world. The next one would be the gospel. The next one would be sent to believe. The next one, repent. The next one would be to be baptized. The next one should summarize to be Father, Son, and Holy Ghost or in His name. The next one should be saved or remission of sins. And the final one be getting to Jerusalem. as you look at these three records of the commission in this summary, see if this is a fair summary. We've read them, we've pulled the details out, we put them up in front of us, and we've made a summary of them. And if you were to summarize the great commission, here's how it reads. Jesus said teach or preach to all nations or every creature in all the world the gospel. He who will believe and repent and be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are in His name shall be saved or have remission of sins beginning in Jerusalem? Does that look like a fair summary of the commission? You're probably saying, yes, it does. It looks exactly like what we've read. Well, I believe it is. But we're not going to be satisfied with that. We're going to check our summary. Uh, as a little story, when I was in school, and uh, they did that school when I was young, <laughs> But when I was in school, I happened to walk by the teacher's desk one day and her math book was there. Now, I wasn't one to pick up textbooks, you know, but uh, I don't know, for some reason, hers looked different in some way. Maybe it was thicker, and I'm sure it was. So I picked it up and nobody was watching and I looked at it. You know what? I found in her book, had all the answers in the back. My math book didn't have the books, it had the problems. But you see, verse had the same problems, but it had the answers for the back of the book. And I thought, man, I wish I had a copy of that one. Homework would be pretty easy. You know, I could get these math problems pretty easy. The Bible's this way. You see, we've made a summary of the Great Commission, but if we go just a little bit further in the book, we can check our Because the answer's in the back. It's further along. Now, we know a little bit about the Great Commission. We want to check this summary to see if it's accurate. The best way I know to do that would be to find when the the Great Commission began in Jerusalem and see what happened, see what was preached, see what was done, and see if it fits the summary. So, when did the Great Commission begin? Well, we know something. If you're looking there at Luke 24 again, that we just read, in verse 48 and 49, Jesus said, And hear witnesses of these things. And, behold, I send the promise of my Father, upon but carry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power of the high. He had told them that uh, repentance and remission of sins would be preached in His name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Now He tells them I'm going to send the promise of my Father upon you. We're going to learn in Acts 1 the promise of the Father is the Holy Spirit. So he said, I'm going to send the promise of my Father upon you. You tarry in Jerusalem till you're endued with power for on time. So we need to know when the Holy Spirit came on these apostles, when they received power. They should be at Jerusalem, and that should be the beginning of the Great Commission. So we go over to Acts chapter 1 now, Luke not only wrote the gospel of Luke, he wrote the book of Acts. And uh, it's good to remember that when we study through Acts, that Luke wrote both books. In fact, a good way to study is to catch the gospel of Luke and come right out of it the Acts. Because when you come over into Acts, actually when you look at Luke's gospel, Luke wrote it to a man by the name of Theophilus most excellent theophilus he called him. He was some noble of some kind and he had a Christian. And so he wrote the gospel of Luke to him. And then when he comes to Acts, and I don't have this scripture there for you, but I'll I'll catch up to you in just a minute. Let me go to Acts 1 and verse 1 with you right quick. Luke says this. He says, the former treaties have I made of theophilus. And he's referring to the gospel of Luke. The former treaties have I made of theophilus. Of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up after that he had given commandments unto his apostles, to whom he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen with for them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled of Gareth now, verse 4, you have it there with third page being assembled together gathered with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. But wait for the promise of the Father, which saith thee, you've heard of me. Now well, there's that promise of the Father, good Wait for the promise of the Father, which saith thee, you've heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you should be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. Now we know what the promise of the Father is. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so in verse 8, The Bible says, when they therefore will come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom unto Israel? He said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father had put in his own power, but ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth now let's analyze what we have thus far christ told them in luke 24 i'm going to send the promise of my father upon you carry in the city of jerusalem and then he tells them in acts that they're to carry and uh, that they'll receive power when the holy ghost comes on then he said you're going to be witnesses unto me in jerusalem all Judea, samaria and the uttermost part of the earth so when they received the Holy Spirit and got that power from the Spirit, then they were to begin the Great Commission. They would begin to be witnesses of it. I don't have this scripture there with you, but in verse 9 of Acts 1, I do want to read this. Because he's told the twelve to tarry in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes on them, and then you can start preaching. You can start being witnesses of them. That'll be the beginning. The coming of the Spirit. Okay? We read in verse 9 of Acts 1, and I don't have this there again for you, but uh, the Bible says of Christ that when he had spoken these things, while then to heaven, he was taken up in the cloud to see the outside. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in quiet apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up in the world? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him you go into heaven. Verse 12. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, the Sabbath day church. Now the Lord has ascended. They watched him go into the clouds. And now Luke tells us that they returned then to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. That's the Mount of Olives. That was the mount from which he ascended. Turn to God. And then they go into Jerusalem and they go up into an upper room there and they tarry. And that's where they abode and waited for the coming of the Holy Spirit. That's what He's commanded them to do is tarry in the city of Jerusalem. So you're induced with power on high. And when the Spirit comes on you, you'll be witnesses. Now what are we doing here? We're looking to check our summary, aren't we? And we've said that we can check this summary to see if it's correct by finding the beginning when they first carried out the Great Commission and see what was done and see if it fits the Son. Now, all we need then is the coming of the Holy Spirit on the Holy apostles. That should be at Jerusalem. It should mark the beginning of the Great Commission. When did the Spirit come? Well, that's Acts chapter 2, if you will follow with me now. Acts 2, verse 1-4. We're looking for the beginning. very time the great commission began the bible says that when the day of pentecost was fully come they were all with one accord in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as the rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the holy ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance." Here is the coming now of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're looking for. It's fallen upon the apostles. It's the day of Pentecost. Pentecost was a Jewish feast day. It occurred 50 days after the Passover. The Lord died during the Passover, didn't Typical. He was the Passover lamb of all history. 50 days later came the day of Pentecost. Jews from all around the world now who are into to Jerusalem to keep this feast. And God in his great wisdom saw this is the opportunity right here to send the gospel forward for the first time and to preach the death, burial, and resurrection of my son. And so he chose to use this as the starting day that the gospel will first be preached. It's also the beginning of the church. It's the day the church was established by Christ. And so it's a very significant day. As I said, it's 50 days after Passover. Now remember, the Lord spent three of those days and two. He spent 40 days, according to Acts 1, as we just read it, speaking of His disciples concerning things pertaining to the people. And that's 43 of the gift. So when He ascended, that'll be week. And He told them, you're going to be baptized in the Holy Ghost not many days hence." And surely they were, because... It's a week or so. And now he sends the Holy Spirit down on them. So now we've found what we believe to be the beginning, the coming of the Holy Spirit on the apostles. Are they at Jerusalem? That's verse 5. Read with me. They were dwelling at Jerusalem. Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven, are out there in the right place, aren't they? We found the coming of the Spirit on the apostles. They're at Jerusalem, right where Jesus told them to tarry and so everything fits thus far remember they're to take the gospel out of all nations aren't they let's look at verse 5 now through verse 13. luke says they were dwelling in jerusalem jews devout men out of every nation under heaven so we got jews out of every nation don't we now when this was noise abroad the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying, Behold, are and all these which speak Galileans, and how hear we every man in our own tongue when we were born? Parthians and Medes and the Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia, and in Judea and Cappadocia, in Pontius of Asia, in Phrygia and Babylon, in Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Greeks and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God.
1: And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying, What
0: meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new life. Alright, he names the nations that uh, doesn't. Parthians, Medes, Edomites, dwellers in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, and, uh, and so forth. And he names these Jews there that are out of every nation and names the nations. And the people are marveling because they're hearing Peter and the others speaking and they're hearing it in their own native tongue. Peter's speaking and yet as it goes out, everybody hears in his own language and all of these languages are here. And folks are just amazed at what's happening. It's a great miracle God has given to start the beginning of the Gospel, isn't it? To get the attention of these Jews. But you know there's always stoppers, it seems like in any crowd. And there was no exception here on this day because there were some that were saying, hey, these men are just drunk. I mean, these guys are drunk. And so, you know, they were saying, well, these fellows are full of new wine here. So Peter's got to quell that excitement and get their attention where the gospel can be preached to these Jews and God wants. And so he stands up to do that. If you'll read now, verse 14 to 21. Peter standing up with the elect lifted up his voice and said, You men of Judea and all you that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto me and hearken unto my words, for these are not drunken as you suppose. See, it is but the third hour of day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And now he's going to quote Joel 2, verse 28 to 32. Because Joel has predicted centuries before this great outpouring of the Holy Spirit at this very day. Now he quotes from Joel 2, verse 28. He says that this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood, before that great and noble day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now Peter has stood up. He has shown that what's happening there is not drunkenness. Rather, it's what Joel predicted, their own point. And he quotes that prophecy and gets their attention. And now he has swelled the excitement that has been stirring, and, and he's got the attention of this vast audience. And there are literally just thousands and thousands of Jews there out of every nation under heaven. And now we need preaching. The Great Commission is going forth, it needs preaching. And that's Peter. He'd been given the keys to the kingdom, had he not? Now he stands up to use those keys to take that gospel and open the entrance into the kingdom of God, into the church. For the very first time, Peter begins to preach. Now you see if this sounds like the gospel to you. As we read verse 22 down through about verse 36. Peter said, You men of Israel hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, Man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did for him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. But God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be molten of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face." For he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell or hades, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to seek corruption. Thou hast made known unto me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Now he's quoted Psalm 16, verses 8 to 11, because David predicted the resurrection in that Psalm. And now he's quoted that as evidence that Jesus is risen from the dead. You see, he's preaching the death, burial, and resurrection. Isn't it? And now he's going to make application in verse 29, read with it. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you the patriarch you are today, that he is both dead and buried in his as with us unto this day. Therefore, being a the prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his fullness according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He saved this the force of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell or Hades, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up we are all witnesses. Therefore being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which you now see in the earth. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, the Lord said unto my Lord. Sit down on my right hand till I make thy foes, thy footstool." Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified, Lord, the Lord Christ. Friends, does that sound like the gospel? He preached the life and miracles of Christ, his death for sins, his resurrection, his ascension, his coronation, that is, and His crown. That He's Lord in Christ. He's preached every one of these details there. He's preached the Gospel there, Which is exactly what Jesus said to do. Go into all the world and preach that Gospel. There, preaching. Now the Gospel's been preached. Alright, everything's fitting so far, isn't it? Now remember, I mentioned that when people are taught sufficient, It'll produce a corresponding belief or faith. Look at verse thirty-seven, and let's see if they believe. The Bible says, "Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do?" They're pricked in their heart; they're convicted, aren't they? They believe. They believe that they're guilty of killing God's son, because Peter has just told them, "You've taken him by wicked hands; you've crucified and slain." And now they're pricked in their heart. They believe that message. And now they've cried out to the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Look at verse 37. What shall we do? And Peter's going to give the answer in verse 38. Let's see if it fits the summary that we made. Then Peter said unto them, repent. And be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's just an example of what our Sunday Sunday was. Saying, just an exactly. Verse 39, he says, The promise is unto you, and to your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. It. Verse 40 and 41. With many other words that he testified in his Lord, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. That they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 soldiers. So 3,000 people that day came forward and obeyed that God. As Peter commanded them to repent and be baptized, 3,000 came that day. They were baptized for the remission of sins. The Lord saved them, then and added them to the church. What an incredible day. What a day. Now look at the summary. We said the summary was that they were to the teach or preach to all nations or every creature in all the world. He who would believe it, repent, and be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost or in His name would be saved or have remission of sins beginning in Jerusalem. And now, we looked at the beginning when it went forward. We found that Peter preached that there were Jews there out of every nation under heaven, and he preached the gospel. They were pricked in their heart. They believed, and they asked, What shall we do? He told them to repent and to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and this was at Jerusalem, fitting the beginning. Looks like our suffering's were at, this it? So, look what we've done now. We've taken all three records of the commission. We've pulled all the details out. We put them up on the board in similar columns. We made a summary of them. And then we we went to the very beginning and we checked our summary now. And it's accurate. We could stop right here, couldn't we? And everybody would know what to do to be saved. They would understand the great commission. But I can't stop right here. Number one, I'd be too short. <laughs> People are changing the recognition. I want to talk about that in just a minute before we close I don't know why anybody wants to change the word of God. I don't understand this. I don't understand that thing. In Matthew 28 and 18, if you read it there, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All the power. It's given unto me in heaven and earth. Christ said, I've got all authority. Now, if he saw all authority, I don't have any, you don't Why would I want to tamper with what Christ said? In John 12, there, verse 48, it Jesus said, He that rejected me and receiveth not my words, and one that judged them, the word that I've spoken, the same shall judge him in the last. This word, then, is going to judge you and I at the last day. Now, why would I want to tackle this word? Why would I want to deny this word? Why would I want to change this word? Why?
1: Because I've got
0: to stand one day, and you do, too, in front of the author of this book. And he's not going to allow me to change his word there. In fact, the word that He's spoken, he says, will judge you and I in the last book. And you know, I'm amazed sometimes I study with people I know you've and have too. You'll read a plain passage of Scripture and you'll ask them, do you see what the Bible says there? And they'll say yes. But they'll rather their preacher with it. You know what he'll do? He'll explain your Bible. He'll look for a way around that. And the next time we talk to them. They're no longer convinced that that was the truth. They know it is. he When he talked about it, he changed. It. I don't understand this kind of thing. This, uh, the idea of maneuvering around the Bible, trying to get around it. You know, there are so many people that fight against the Word of God and what it says. I don't understand that because that Word's going to judge us in the last day. We need to be honest. Obey it right now so when we stand before Christ, He won't look at us and say, I gave you my word. Why? Why I didn't mean, you do know what I commanded? That's going to be an embarrassing moment. And so it behooves us to always be honest in God's word. One of the great is right now in the world of people learning the truth about salvation, how to be saved about the church, where they need to worship, how to worship and such things. One great evidence is that people don't love the truth. And Paul warned us about not loving the truth. I don't have this scripture there for you, but in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 10 and 12, Paul said to the old deceitful, of, of the and them to perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they might all be damned to believe not the truth, but that pleasure in unrighteousness. Paul says that God sends a strong delusion so that people will believe a lie. The American Standard Translation says God sends a working of error. I don't think that God directly tries to lead us into error. I do believe this. And when you and I don't love the truth, the Lord will allow error to be presented to us to such an extent that we'll come to believe a lie, and the result is what we can do. And the only way to, to avoid that happening to us is to love the truth. Just love the truth. Whatever it is. Be willing to walk away from the church that's wrong. If the practice does not fit in the Scripture, then. if you can't change it, it. If you discover I'm wrong on a doctrine here, just change the doctrine. Change your belief. Because the Bible's always right, and that's the standard by which we'll be judged. So we need to be honest with God's Word. That's what it takes to get to heaven, and that's why Jesus said, you the people of People just simply will not be honest with what the Bible teaches. That's true of the Great Commission and falsehood. I don't know why anyone wants to change this condition. But I assure you, a lot of people do, And by their doctors and by their practices, they'll change. So what I want to do now we finish this study. I'm going to use this summary line because it's high enough across here. We all should be able to see it. And uh, that's the reason I had to put this up on the stage. I wanted to line that where you can see it. I want to take every one of these details and ask you, what can we change? And let's just start with the first one. Shall we change teach or preach? And everybody will probably say, "No, we can't change that. People need to be taught; they need to hear the gospel." Preach. And that's certainly true. But did you know that people change this detail? Have you ever heard of the practice of infant baptism? Baptizing the baptism of baby. How many babies can you teach? Be baptized. Well, the And so the practice has come along now to baptize And in order to practice infant baptism, you've got to destroy the Great Commission, at least in the order that Jesus gave it. And I'll show you what it does to the Great Commission. Just this simple act, just doing away with this detail first. See, you would baptize an infant in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I guess, to try to save him or give him remission, even though the babies are saved. And you'll do that for all nations. Later on, when you get to teach up here, you'll teach or preach to them the gospel so they can believe. now when you practice baptism this is what you do the great commission because you're not starting off with teaching you see you're starting off with baptism and so you make the great commission read this way baptize in the name of the father son and holy ghost or in his name i should have put all nations or every creature so they can be saved or have remission of sins Then later is when they get older the teacher preached to them the gospel so they can believe the and repent you see you've got to completely change the whole great commission just to practice that one doctrine, infant baptism but the bible never teaches and yet they've changed the great commission and we just can't deal this way with scripture we just can't what would i say to christ if i if i practiced infant baptism and changed his commission in this fashion in order to practice I'm not going to have an answer So we need to consider to get this, this order back by the Lord David, and try to get these all rounded up. I'll try to get these back in some order, of course. That's why I hate to remove all these. It confuses me. Do you think you're confused by infant baptism? Try working this chart. We'll get this on the back. And while I'm doing that, look at 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, if you will, Chapter 1, verse 21. That's there on your last page. Paul said, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believed. And so in God's wisdom then it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them. The first thing necessary for the salvation of, of folks among the nations is that they must hear the word preached and taught. After that in the wisdom of God the world but wisdom do not God it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them and believe. So then the salvation of every soul starts with being taught the truth of God's word. and taught about Jesus. We have got to be taught. We're not ready for baptism. We need to know what we're doing. We need to know about Christ. Because all that's going to happen is you're just going to get water on the limit. But you're not going to change anything. Because we need teaching, and we need knowledge, and we need faith in such things. All right, shall we change all nations or every preacher? Somebody might say, well, no, we wouldn't know who to preach to if we changed that book. A Jew might want to preach to Jews, a Mormon to Mormons, a Calvinist to Calvinists to, to uh, Calvinistic people. A universalist would preach to anyone because he thinks everybody would be saved anyway. So, yes, we don't want to change all nations or every preacher. Look at 1 Timothy 2 with me and verse 3 through 6. 1 Timothy 2 3 6. Paul said, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. But there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So then God wants every person to hear this gospel. He wants every person saved. And so we need to leave that detail alone. Shall we change the gospel? Shall we remove this detail or change it around? Somebody says, well, certainly not. We wouldn't know what to teach people in that scripture. In 1 Corinthians 15, there, verse 1 to 4. Paul said, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto so you. Which also you received and where you stand, by which also you're saved if you keep in memory what I preach unto so you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. How that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. People need the gospel. They need to hear about Christ. And most everybody will say, well, no, we don't want to change the gospel. Certainly not. Shall we change belief? The body says, well, no, we've got to believe to be saved. Jesus said in Mark 16, 60 here in the commission, He that believeth that is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. Everybody agrees we need to believe belief alone. That's essential to salvation. Shall we change repentance? Take that out of commission you know there's a lot of people don't like to repent that's that's hard to do if there's one thing folks might want to remove it might be repentance but we can't remove repentance in luke 13 in verse 3 christ said i tell you nay. but except you repent you shall all likewise perish so if we don't repent we're going to perish certainly we leave that alone Shall we change baptism? How many of you have heard that baptism is not essential to salvation? I'm not asking you to raise a hand. We hear that all the time, don't we? You know, I could show this, uh, I could show this bullet to most of the preachers in this area. And I could ask them, gentlemen, what do you think of this? What do you think of our summary of the Great Commission? They would probably look at that and say, "That." Uh, it looks pretty good, except you've got one detail there that's not essential. And if I ask them what that detail is, the universal prior model would be baptism. That's not essential, they would say. You don't have to be baptized. And if I ask them, well, if I removed that from the commission, what would I put in its place? You know what they'd deal with? Center's prayer. And invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Savior. And that's what we're here today. That if you want to be saved, just ask Christ to come into your heart and save you. Now let me ask you something, and this is in all times now, sincerely, Where do you see prayer in any of the records of the Great Commission? On the day of Pentecost, Peter could have told that vast audience to pray, didn't he? When they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? And they were pricked in their heart. He could have said, I want all of you to step forward and want salvation. And I'll lead us in a word of prayer. Just pray this prayer with me and invite Jesus into your heart. Peter didn't he do that to What did he do? He said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. He could have made the prayer, but he didn't. And incidentally prayer is nowhere in any of the records of the tradition. baptisms there twice Isn't that interesting? look at this now belief all of us understand that we we cannot be saved without faith we can it's only mentioned one we cannot be saved except we repent it's only mentioned one out of yet baptism is mentioned. It's the only one that's mentioned two out of three. And it's the one everybody says is not essential. And nice? I am amazed at the thought process and preachers. Inserting something here that is nowhere in the Great Commission. And taking something out that's mentioned twice. And that's definitely Peter, who on the day of Pentecost told me. Jews there to repent and be baptized later on wrote in 1 Peter 3 and verse 21 in his first epistle. He said, the like figure whereunto unto even baptism doth also now save us. That scripture's there on the chart. Isn't it? The like figure whereunto unto even baptism doth also now save us. Not putting away the guilt of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Alright, Peter commanded baptism on the day of Pentecost and later wrote that baptism saves us. Surely we should leave that detail there. Alright? Can we say, uh, can we take out or remove Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Somebody says, no, we wouldn't have any authority. We wouldn't have a name in which to do this. That's true. We better leave that intact there. Shall we change saved or remission of sins and remove that? Everybody would say, well, no. Well, that's the purpose of this is salvation. We don't want to remove that. But they might look at me and say, Preacher, you've got this in the wrong place on your And If I asked them, well, what do you mean? They would say, well, everybody knows that salvation comes before baptism. That you're baptized because you're saved, not, not in order to be saved. And uh, so we think you ought to change the order. All right, let me change the order of what's practiced today. Here's really how most people view the Great Commission: teach or preach to all nations or every creature in all the world the gospel. He who will repent or believe and repent will be saved or have remission of sins and could be baptized later on if he wants. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That's really what we're told today. Isn't it? That uh, they would tell me that uh, salvation comes before baptism, not after. But I want you to look at what Jesus said about the matter in Mark's right record In Mark 16:16, it's there typed out for you. He said unto them, Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Jesus placed salvation after baptism. To make it fit the the change that people are making in the Great Commission, you'd have to change what Christ said in Mark, and it would read this way, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every preacher. He that believeth and is saved shall be baptized. But that's not what Jesus said, is it? Christ said, He that believeth and is baptized, shall be saved. That's the an order, and he placed salvation after baptism. He just did, and that's what Peter did on the day of Pentecost when they asked men and brethren, "What shall we do?" He said, "Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins." And he placed salvation or remission after baptism. That we should do the same, should we? Laid the commission in the order that that the Lord gave it. Salvation according to Christ comes after baptism. It just does. That's what the Bible says. Now we have one thing left, and that's the beginning of Jerusalem. And surely nobody would change that. Yes, they would. They would. Let me show you what's been done. Instead of beginning at Jerusalem and teaching the Great Commission. People want to go back. They want to go back before the Great Commission was given. Let me put this down here. They go back before the Great Commission was given. Where do they go? They go to Luke 23. Now, would you read Luke 23 with me, verse 39 to 43? Luke 23, verse 39 to 43. Usually, when you have a discussion about baptism and somebody says, well, baptism is essential to salvation, somebody will say, well, no, it isn't. The thief on the cross wasn't baptized. And they'll run to Luke 23. Let's read Luke 23, verse 39. Luke says and one of the male factors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Does not thou fear God? Seeing thou art in the same condemnation, and we indeed justice justly, for we received the due reward of our deed, but this man has done nothing to this. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise." There's the old thief on the cross. Did Jesus save that thief? Absolutely he saved. But you see, the thief, friends, lived and died before the Great Commission was given. Luke 23 is the record of the thief. He's still alive on the cross and so is Jesus. The Great Commission is, is recorded by Luke in Luke 24 after the resurrection of Christ. You see, one of the last things Jesus did before he ascended from the Mount of Olives is get the Great Commission. You see, the thief lived and died before the Great Commission was ever given. Now, why would I want to run to the thief to try to get around baptism when the thief lived and died before the Great Commission commanding baptism was ever given? See, he was already dead, already forgiven. He was under a different law. He was to be under the Great Commission. See that? And that's the mistake that people make. It's what I told you earlier. They try to circumvent and get around the Word of God instead of embrace it and just say, this is what it says. And obey it. They will run to the deep trying to remove baptism and bring in the idea again of inviting Christ into the heart. That's the whole purpose and to remove, remove the necessity of being baptized. I don't understand this kind of thing. But they're changing the great commission. And we need to be content and realize that this thief, we cannot be saved by like him. Yes, he was saved. But you see, he lived and died before the commission went forth. Because we need, instead of going back before the commission was given to the thief on the cross, we need to be satisfied with things at the beginning and leave the Great Commission, just like Jesus said. I made this uh, this board of these, these squares many years ago. Incidentally, there are fifty of these. I've cut every one of them with a pocket knife, put the ramen holes in, and all this because I wanted to find some way to try to get over the people what the plan of salvation really is and what the Great Commission really is. That's why I designed this book. And I hope that it's been helpful to you today because we've studied this. If you've wondered about it, what is the plan of salvation? What do I need to do to be saved? You see it in the summary, don't you? You need to be taught the gospel, like you've already been taught, and then you need to believe it, to repent, to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, in His name, for salvation or remission of sins. That's been true since the beginning of creation, it. and it'll be true to the end of the world. Christ said, "You go teach all nations; and I'll be with you always, even to the end of the world." This commission is just as valid this morning as the day Christ came. And uh, you may be sitting there saying, you know what, I've I've already been baptized. Well, a lot of people have. I want to show you something that also happens. Why were you baptized? Think about it for just a moment. Most people are baptized uh, as an outward symbol of an inward grace that they believe they already have. In other words, they believe they're already saved. popular teaching is that you invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Savior. And that's your saved at this point. And then you get baptized later on to join a local church. Now that's generally the purpose of baptism. Today. It is not for salvation. So a lot of people have had a baptism. You may have had a baptism. Here's what this chart will help you to do. What was the purpose of your baptism? Were you being baptized because you were already saved back here? Or were you being baptized in order to be saved? See, that makes a big difference. And the Great Commission in Christ teaches that baptism is in order to be saved. Not because we're already saved. And that's what I hope to study today. We'll give you some insight on and help you as you study and meditate in God's Word. I've talked long enough this morning. We always have, as our custom is, an invitation If there should be anyone that might be interested in obeying the Lord in baptism or healing prayer as a Christian if there's something that we can help you with in your life. we are just want Your salvation right now is the most important thing, and your needs are important. And so we're going to stand and have an invitation song and ask you to come and have a seat at the front. If we can assist you anyway, do that as you rise and sing the song. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71, Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message, or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.